Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, lax rats alike, welcome back to another episode of the Crease Dive. Today is Monday, May 15th. The Ivy League is dead. Michigan's team of destiny run continues. Maryland has been bounced from the tournament. Cornell has been bounced from the tournament. Uh, the first round of the NCAA tournament is wrapped up. It was a great weekend of college lacrosse. I'm Jordy from Barstool, and with me, as always, we've got Dukes on the mic. Dukes, wild weekend, a lot of great games, few blowouts here and there. Uh, how are we feeling after the first two days of the tournament have wrapped up? We're down to seven games left. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I think that it's your classic first weekend of the tournament where like we expected some some blowouts, some great games, some of the best games you'll probably watch all year happen this weekend and some some nap fest happens, some snooze fest. So um yeah, just great weekend for lacrosse, four games each day, kind of can concentrate on one game at one time, not as overwhelming. So yeah, it's one of the best weekends for lacrosse of lacrosse of the year. Um, I, I kind of disagree there with the whole sentiment. People say it's the best weekend of lacrosse. Don't really agree with that. Uh, given the fact that like every year there, there are these blowouts. Um, but there, there is, there is obviously lacrosse like every hour of the day on Saturday and Sunday. So, um, yeah. So I, I do. Okay. So first, are are you going to say that next weekend is actually the best weekend of lacrosse? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think I, I would say so. I, th- I think that that that's where I'm like, I think that the quarterfinal weekend is actually the best because you're, you know, that you're going to get eight great games, right? Like you're yeah. not going to have a Virginia Richmond. You're not going to have Notre Dame. So like, I mean, listen, there's, there's always the uh, potential for a blowout, but like on paper, it's not going to be one that we're expecting to see. Um, and also like, I, I do think, and I don't want to, I don't want to sound spoiled here, um, I don't want to sound high maintenance, but the whole, it is a lot of lacrosse, like to have all these games staggered almost perfectly to where the final whistle of one game leads you directly into the opening face-off of the next game. It It is a lot. Like it's like 10 straight hours of sitting on your couch and watching lacrosse. And it's like, you can't get up to do like anything, right? Like I, I would love, like that's the thing that I love the most about the quarterfinal uh, weekends and you know obviously it's kind of the same thing for the uh for the semifinal too but after one game wraps up you know that you have the warm-up for the next game to like let's say you have some errands to run maybe, maybe you gotta go run out go pick up some lunch or something like that you know that you have that time built in between when the one game finishes then you have warm-ups and then the next game starts it's just yeah. a nice little nice little reset so i will i don't know i, I don't want to come off as spoiled I don't want to say um, that that it's too much lacrosse, but the fact that it like the opening weekend is like, hey, you're stuck on this couch for ten hours right now, and if you get up for a second, you're missing something. It is a little bit to ask for us. Yeah, I agree. Uh, also, it's just like the I, I'm always I've always been a quarterfinals guy. Uh, I don't know, maybe probably just like going back to all those quarterfinals games I grew up watching at Hofstra. Just like well, some pun- of the- also like punching the ticket to the final four is like a huge moment, right? Like, yeah. It's also like these teams like Towson, like that, like, like a Towson doesn't always make the final four. Right. And like you win the first, you win like that first, that first weekend or like a Bryant even when like they, they upset Syracuse um, a while ago now, but like, I just remember like, it's like 
it's like you win, you have like this first round upset, and then it's like, unlike any other really tournament, it's like the next game you are one win away from the final four. Whereas in like the basketball to 64 team tournament where, yeah, cool. Like you got like a first round upset, but it's like, you have the first round upset. And it's like, no, no, now if we win the next one, we're in the final four. We're at, the, we're at the pinnacle of lacrosse. So I always think that aspect's cool. It's you're one win away from making school history. Um, you got teams like Rutgers last year making like school, uh, history. Um, you got Blue Bloods looking to go back. I mean, think about it. Like Notre Dame's on a what, eight year drought of making the final four. And like, we're talking about like, Johns Hopkins saying they're back. And of course, what Notre Dame have, and Johns Hopkins have done in the last eight years, even though they both haven't made the Final Four since 2015, it has been so different, just the teams that Notre Dame's been able to draw out. But it, it is crazy. Like, we're, we're going to say, like, Hopkins is back. I think Hopkins is back now. But, like, it, it is kind of insane that both these teams have had the same Final Four drought. And one team we talk about so much differently than the other. Yeah, um, I, I actually do have, and this just popped into my head. So this isn't something that I, 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 I've been kind of toying around with this in my head ever since, uh, probably for like a week now. Um, I've been mentioning how I thought that this tournament was going to be huge for the Blue Bloods. Um, I, I didn't, I, I mean, I think if we run back the tape, I, I said I wouldn't be shocked of Army over Maryland, but it just seemed like Maryland, that was a better spot for them. Um, and, you know, I, I said that in my heart of hearts, I wanted Michigan to win over Cornell. It's just like my brain was telling me no, but I, I always thought that this was going to be a huge tournament for the Blue Bloods. And as I kept saying that, I kept kind of thinking to myself, is Notre Dame a Blue Blood for lacrosse? No, you can't say it, but like they're like, uh, like right, right below it. Like it's, yeah. it is, it is funny. You kind of can hedge that blue blood. Like you, you're like, I'll give you a plot twist already, but you kind of hedged your, hedge your bets. Like the winner of Notre Dame, like if you have Duke and you have Virginia make the final four, right. And then Notre Dame or Johns Hopkins makes it, you hedge your bets right there. Cause like, it's kind of like Hopkins is kind of like right now, like a, like a UCLA a couple years ago. Like, Oh, like they, they haven't been that good. They haven't really made final fours, but like they are blue blood. They are back. So um, yeah, one, one, one of those teams will, I think like Notre Dame's like a new blood. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, like, to, I like they, that term. They have, they have to, they have to, they have to make, they, they have to win a championship. I, I, I will say, I do think that this is Notre Dame's year. I, I, I fully came to that circle and got really quickly just touching on the Maryland game. I mean, Docs, Knox Dent, Knox Dent, the Fort, Army Fort Knox. Fort Knox, yeah, played phenomenal. Like, like it was crazy how big of a difference goaltending made in that game. Like that, like that was potentially when I was watching it. That was one of Maryland's best offensive games as a whole. Like I thought, Erska, like he's going to be a stud for Maryland over the next couple of years. What, what, what did he? He had four or five on the night. Yeah, but just the way that like Maryland was able to move the ball, and then like, like think about it, Army's goalie probably it was arguably MVP of the weekend and Maryland still put up 16 or 15 goals. It was the difference was ruffle. Like I think the coach, like I, I think, I don't know how they didn't think about putting in another goalie, like 24% save percentage. It, I don't know what was going through Tillman's brain. I mean, like he kind of got us here, but like anybody else at one point, like you got to make that change in like a third quarter. I know at halftime I was even like, how do you not make that change? Midway through the third quarter, I was like, does he have a brain? So it, uh, it is kind of crazy that, like that—that's the difference, and that's that's Hillman's coaching, kind of 
was the demise of Maryland. Yeah, I need I need to know. I'm sure that they have one. Just it's it's a D1 program. Of course they they have one, but I don't know the full extent of Maryland's coaching staff enough to know like like is is there a goalie on the staff? Do do you, I don't, I don't know. I, I haven't like I I'd imagine that they, they have one. But, they used to. But like that's like such a it's such a hard decision to make when it's cuz like you you just you don't like the the goalie position, you hope that you have a goalie who's got the like the mental toughness to like kind of understand. Hey, like I, I don't have it tonight. Um, I know that I got my team to this point, but I just don't have it right now, and they have to go a different direction. And I'm gonna like stay up and stay positive, and you know get my job back for next weekend. But like you never know. Like you make that adjustment, and you just it's such a risk. Um, so I, I can understand Tillman, I can understand Tillman being a little cautious to, to take that risk. Um, obviously hindsight 2020 and, and, you know, you pay pays for that cautiousness. Uh, but I don't know, like, I feel like that's not, that's not a decision for, uh, you know, just, just anybody to make, like, I feel like you need to like talk to, to like that. That's not a, you need to have like a big conversation at halftime about whether or not that's the move. Here's my only take on it. If it was a rattled senior goalie, like Logan McNaney, you'd be like, okay, we're keeping him in. You know, he's, he's our senior leader. Got like played in big games. He's just rattled, but like he'll, he'll make, he'll make the important saves. Like even if he has a 30% save percentage on the night, we can count on him making that last save if we need it. Ruppel being a freshman and rattled clearly in his first tournament game, how do you not put in someone else? Like, even if someone else is only saving 50% of their shots, it's better than 24. So I, I think that was just uh, a head-scratching decision from Tillman, keeping in a rattled freshman goalie. Um, I will say, and as I kept saying that, I kind of had I, – I, I thought in the back of my head, I, I knew this. Uh, Tillman was a goalie. So yes. yeah. that's – yeah. So they, they, that, but now that you say it, I'm going to like a broadcast one time. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I, I just had to look it up just to, but yeah, he, uh, he was a goalie, but then when he transferred from Colgate to Cornell, um, as a player, he switched from goalie to, to D midi. So, but either way, he's a goalie, so he should know that. Um, and, and I guess, yeah, maybe he could have made that call. And I, I think anyone with half a brain kind of knew that, uh, Rubble didn't have it going for him. I don't know if, if Teddy Dolan is, is the, I mean, they already saw what they got out of him this year. So it might, like, it, it, might be a tough spot. Fuck this. Fuck this Teddy Dolan narrative, because it's the same shit that like Ruppel had one fucking, like Teddy's first start of the year. He had a 50% save percentage. Ruppel's first start of the year. He played phenomenal. And everyone just wanted to keep this narrative the entire fucking year. You look at the stats. They're basically the same exact goalie. One's a senior, one's a freshman. Would you rather have a, like a rattled freshman or a senior, like, playing in the a tournament game. I know it's both like they're probably their first tournament games each, but I mean, Jesus Christ, I'd rather have a senior in there. If my freshman's rattled a grad student. I mean, like just, just the narrative in like one play, like it's not like Teddy was letting in beach balls. Ruppel was saving 24% of save, save percentage. Like, like the, the narrative is just crazy. Yeah. But I don't know. Like it's, it's such a, 
I don't know. And like, here's the thing. I'm, I'm a, I'm big anti Tillman. So like, I, I hate you for putting me in this position where I'm almost like defending his decisions. Like I'll never forgive you for this because I wanted to spend this entire episode really just shitting on John Tillman. Um, but I like, I don't know. It's just one of those where like, not only like, are you have to, all right. So you have to one, you make that decision and you have to hope that, uh, it doesn't fuck Ruppel going forward when you need him in the tournament later. Um, Two, you have to hope that Teddy Dolan's like mental headspace doesn't immediately go back to getting shelled in that game that that he got in um, earlier in the season after McNady first went down. And then a third piece of it is you also like have to gauge like where the mentality of the rest of the team is going to be. Like if if you put in another goal, like like how's the communication with the defense? Like how's that been in practice? How do you think that they're how how's the defense going to react? to having another goalie in there. Like, are they going to start to play, try to, you know, press out like a little too much um, to try to compensate for having a new goalie out there. And then all of a sudden, you know, the inside opens up a little bit. Like there's a lot of, mo- like it's, it, it, so I, I would agree over thing, but like, I think that that's, I don't know. It's like the you hardest, de- it, it's, it's, it's the hardest decision to make if, as a coach, if you're going to switch at halftime. Who do you think McCarr is closer with, the freshman or the grad student? What I, I don't, I don't know. Like I'm just saying, like I think that like who was in like McCarr's draft party? It's probably Teddy Dolan. Like, so I mean, I, I would just think that like if you're switching up like the communication wise, like I don't think that like your defensive leader is really going to be like, oh, like we, we, I don't trust having Teddy in. Like, it, and like I don't think Teddy necessarily got shelled in that first game. Ruppel played amazing that first game, that first opportunity he's had. He's definitely plateaued it's not like there's this like huge leap and bound in my opinion between teddy and Ruppel. and i I think that like i I just don't see how they didn't make the change i mean it's nothing to get like hung up on they didn't make the change Ruppel's good like like i I mean mcdaney's gonna be back next year so i don't we'll see but yeah i mean Ruppel's the goaltender i guess for the future but he got fucking shelled and i think that Tillman's decision definitely hurt hurt maryland yeah well i'll tell you where Tillman's decision really hurt Maryland. And this goes back weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, Tillman's decision to call for the stick check on the Princeton Fogo, uh, that that hurt Maryland in this game. Uh, Tillman's decision to, uh, to call for the glove violation on the Ohio State Fogo um, also hurt Maryland in this game. And Tillman's decision to be as uh, just as, as – cold and unfriendly and just a, a real jackass to Kevin Connery in the, in the post-game handshake hurt Maryland in this game because the lacrosse gods, they all combined together uh, and, and they had one common goal in this game. And this was to smite John Tillman. Uh, and it came back in the form of a goal getting wiped off the board because of the uh, infamous goal mouth call that we heard so many goddamn times this week. I am so sick and tired of the goal mouth debate. Uh, we need to get rid of the goddamn thing. It's a joke. Uh, goalies just fucking toughen up, right? If, if guys are going to dive at your legs, maybe give them a little punch in the head or something like, like goalies have to police this themselves because the goal mouth ain't cutting it. But the other end of the spectrum, it did give us one of the more hilarious moments of the weekend. Uh, when this, which should have been a goal from what is his name? Garrett Gibbons on Maryland. Uh, so 
Goal gets wiped off the board here. I mean, Gibbons shoots the ball a good five yards outside of the crease, falls down, and you know, I guess the turf is just a little bit slick, so he slides and barely grazes the goal mouth. Goal gets wiped off the board. Um, if if there was ever an example for how big of a joke this rule is in lacrosse, this would be the one right here. The crease violation. This goal gets waved off for what we believe to be a crease violation. Let's let's go of the ball five yards from the goal, goal line with, with, a, with his right foot. He slides right a good three yards, and then as he's standing up, like not he, like just to stand himself up, gets rid of the ball five yards from the goal line, slides three yards, puts his foot down to stand up, and just touches the goal mouth. The fact that that's called a no goal. Absolutely ridiculous. Maryland got fucking jobbed by the rules committee here, but guess who is the rules committee? John Tillman. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, that's just seems like lax karma to me. Yeah. I also think the, the, I think the one rule that I think I agree with the goal mouth, I agree with protecting the goalie, but if the ball's already in the back of the net and he's getting the goal mouth, it should just be a goal. Yeah. But I, I I agree. But like I don't even. We we saw it too in um, I want to say it was the Michigan game. It it was it was one of these games. But either way, uh, you know, Michigan attackman gets underneath of his defender, beats him to the cage. He's running at a at an angle that looks like he would have ended up at the top of the crease. But the uh, again, if this was Michigan, then I guess the Cornell defender pushed him in the back. He takes flight hits the goalie ball ends up in the back of the net goal gets wiped off the board, but the defender gets a, a penalty for, uh, for a cross check, but then the goal scorer gets a penalty for what, what is it unsportsmanlike for hitting the goalie? Like, I don't know. It's just, there's, there are just so many different ways for good goals to get wiped off the board all because of the goal mouth. So um, it's, it's a joke of a rule, but it's it's just funny to see how the tables turn on this one where uh, it, it was a joke of a rule for Maryland to be awarded the ball and awarded possession against Ohio State because uh, face-off specialists had different pair of gloves on. How, how, how the turntables. Yep, agreed. I think it is very funny how Tillman makes the rules and uh, the, rules, the rules bit him in the ass, but... Yeah. Um, all right. Well, so that's, I, I think we talked at length there about the troops taking down Maryland. Um, the one last thing I will say about that one is listen, like, I, I don't know. I feel like I, I saw a lot of um, some headlines where it's like army shocks, Maryland and, and army army stuns number four, Maryland. Um, and I think again, like I maybe talked a little bit of a big game on, on last week's episode saying like Maryland's, they're built for May and like, this is what they do. You can't bet against Maryland in May until they prove that you can't. That's that was all true at the time, but like at the same time, I don't think Maryland was necessarily, maybe this is 2020 hindsight as well, but I don't think that they were worthy of a four seed. And I think that army was probably a little bit better than a, than a, what a 13 seed, right? Like they, they just didn't have any like big wins uh, on their resume just because their schedule wasn't that great just because the Patriot league wasn't that good. But like, dude, this was a good, like this was a, a team that could have been a 10 or 11 seed and, and Maryland could have been a six or a seven. 
see, the only thing I'm going to disagree with you on this is I think this is the exact what I was kind of leaning towards last episode is that 2020 vision. All right. If Maryland wins, we, we, what we were went into this episode, we would have said, well, yeah, like, this is what Maryland does. Obviously, we, we, we called this last week. Army really hasn't played anyone this year. So, like, it's not that shocking that Maryland's in the quarterfinals. That would have been the narrative. And we'd be like, Maryland owns May, blah, blah, blah. And then if Army wins, like they did, we were going to say, well, Maryland wasn't really that good this year. We kind of knew this is who they were. This isn't that shocking. So, like, that's why I was saying, like, no matter who wins, like, that's going to be the narrative. And I kind of, like, leaned on my Maryland's actually being like, it's the, it's the Patriots until they prove me wrong. I'm taking Maryland. And agreed in the sense, like, there was no real big difference in my eyes from seven to four. Just like, I don't know how big of the difference between like 10 to 13. Like, I think the worst seeding of the entire tournament was Duke survived, but they got absolutely shafted with that, with that uh, drawing against Delaware. Like, it should have been Utah, potentially even Richmond. And now I don't, I think Richmond would have been, I think it should have just been Utah. Like, how did, how did Notre Dame at three get Utah? That was the easy, that was a Dr. Seuss book read for me. That was the easiest. I was right. Like, I didn't even respond to haters on Twitter that were trying to be like, oh, no, Utah's actually pretty good. No, they're fucking not. They have not played any. Like, this is Notre fucking game. Well, I think that was, I think that that was a Donna special, right? Because then the committee say that like travel costs was a. So, so I mean, yeah, I I guess, you know, look up the, uh, get get on Expedia.com and and see how cheap we can get from uh, Salt Lake City to South Bend. Right. No, that's a good call. Uh, no, but the the one. All right. So I will say one. You're absolutely correct on that. Where like the narrative was going to be the narrative, just regardless or, or depending on who won. Um, but as a as a as a guy who throws a lot of takes around there, that's like the best way to always try to make sure that you're right. Um, is to yeah. just change up and flip flop narratives whenever you see fit. So um, that's that's just what I'm gonna continue to do. But I I will say though, I think that. I don't, I don't know. I, I think like if this game were what an 11, six matchup instead of a 13 to four, maybe like the, the narrative just wouldn't be as much like army shocks, army stuns. Like it, it was, it was one of those ones where it, it, it could have gone either way. Um, and it went army's way. I don't think it was like, Holy shit. Army beat Maryland. Like that's fucking unbelievable. Like it wasn't unbelievable. It's very believable. Um, just didn't think that it, it would happen. Yeah, I said that like no one believed in Army, but I, I do tend like it was one of those things where it was, it was like, no, Maryland will just. I think when it was all said and done, it was just like, oh, Maryland will just like win this game. I thought probably by like one or two. Again, I, I refuse to say I was wrong because on a bad goalie day, if you told me Ruppel was going to have a bad day, I'd be like, all right, if he saves 38% of his shots, like they'll, they'll, they'll still probably win. Like, yeah. It was. I don't want to like, I don't, I really, he's, he's just a kid. I'm not trying to like harp on this too much. Better goalie than I ever was. But I mean, when you talk about an all time bad goalie performance, this has got to be top three. I, uh, I, yeah, I, 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 I don't have any off the top of my head right now to, to receive on I, that one. So I check, goalies, I check goalie stats all the time on, on inside lacrosse. When I got done with that game, I've never been so excited to look at the box score. I, ru- I ran, not walked. I ran to inside the cross. And that's what the broken my jaw, ankle. My jaw fucking dropped. I was like, maybe 35. 24 was the worst, worst in recent memory that I could, that I could find. Yeah, definitely, definitely not a good number. 
Um, all right. Well, so that's that. And, you know, we're talking about teams that nobody believed in. Um, real quick, just to knock a few games off of the off of the schedule here. Nobody believed in Richmond for good reason. Virginia comes out in that slot fest of a rain storm. Uh, Virginia takes down Richmond 17 to eight. Thanks for coming out. See you later. Nobody believed in Utah. Actually, some people did believe in Utah, which is weird, but nobody should have believed in Utah. Um, they get shelled 20 to seven by Notre Dame. Uh, nobody believed in Bryant, nor should anyone have believed in Bryant. Uh, Hopkins beats them down 22 to eight. Uh, good, good moment though, in that game. Uh, so what Russell Melendez, he set the, uh, the program record for what was that most goals in a season or most goals in a tournament game, most points in a tournament game. Nine points. Yeah. Yeah. So, so set, set the record for, uh, most points by a Hopkins player in a tournament game. Listen, a lot of, a lot of legends to come through that program. A lot of guys played in some big time NCAA tournament games. So obviously would have been a huge, huge moment for Russell Melendez, right? Yeah, yeah, this is a, a legendary, legendary interview. I think it's going to go down in history as one of the one of the best. I mean, I don't know if you know, but you set the John. What does it mean? I don't know if you know, but you set the Johns Hopkins single game NCAA tournament record for points. It's just another day. Johns Hopkins single game NCAA tournament record for points. It's just another day. Russ, what's the last week been like? Just another day in the office for Russell Melendez. Five and four on the day, uh, and Hopkins goes quietly into the night. I'm him moment. I'm him moment of the decade. (laughs) I mean, again, like you think about some of the guys to come through that, right? You've you've got got your Kyle Harrisons. You've got your Paul Rabels. Russell Melendez beats them all. Best, Best tournament game ever. Just another day in the office. Uh, but yeah, so those were the shellackings of the weekend. O- only three of them, right? So we got, I think we got five great games this weekend. And that's, that's really all, all that we could ask for. Um, let's, let's go back to, uh, all right, well, let's shit on the, the Ivy League a little bit, right? Because if anyone had the worst weekend of their lives, it was Donna. Uh, Donna got herself Donna this weekend. Three Ivy League teams get into the tournament and all three die in the first round. Uh, Larkin Kemp, please mute your speakers or however you're listening to this right now because the nerds fucking suck at lacrosse. Uh, first up, we've got uh, – so Yale. I mean, I was I was getting really nervous in this one. Big-time Yale hater over here. Uh, the, despise the program. Actually, don't really despise the program. I really hate the fans. The fans are, are a bunch of jackasses. Um, and I, I was just getting really worried that we were going to have to deal with them for another week here after Yale got up to an 8-3 halftime lead. Uh, pretty sure Yale was already raising the banner. Joe Sy was about to put in the new facility uh, that they were advancing to the quarterfinals yet again. But the story of this game, the story of the season, the resurgence of Tucker Dordovic, tough three Tough first three games to start the season for Tucker Dordovic, uh, but what a campaign he has put up since then. Got himself to be a, a Tuarton finalist and then put the Hoyas on his back in this game. What do you have, six goals on the day? Six goals from Tucker Dordovic as he leads the Hoyas to come back from an 8-3 halftime deficit and take down Georgetown in an absolute fucking shootout. Defense was clearly optional in this game. Goaltending clearly optional in this game. 19 to 17 final for the Hoyas. 
yeah, it was a great game. Um, back and forth, felt like it was like we were watching the Warriors play like the Warriors. Feel like, like the defense. I don't even know if the defense. I'd have to like really watch the game back to say if it was bad defense or not. But Jesus Christ, it felt like the amount of shots that were being taken that game. Two great offenses. Um, Yale seemed to be like Chris Lyons, uh, Brandau, Leo Johnson's very fun to watch. Um, it, it was just overall very fun, fun lacrosse game in general. And Graham Bundy had some great shots. That one shot will stick oh. in my mind. But uh, oh, Nick Scott coming in. Like, that, Georgetown's just a team that, like, offensively, I I won't say that they, like, offensively they are one of the most talented teams in the country. Defensively, I'm not ready to say, say with James Riley hurt, going into that, we'll preview more of the Virginia game, but with James Riley banged up at least, um, not really going to trust Hanks in goal. Um, you know, he's been, got pulled this year, didn't play great last game. Um, but, yeah, I think that, uh, that, that, that Georgetown offense has weapons all over. Yeah, that that one Graham Bundy shot was just a rocket ship. Uh, little little lefty, just was it was it? now now I might have it flipped in my head. Either way, um, that what that was one of those goals where I really hope that they uh, they they kind of had it a little bit in hockey uh, back in the nineties when Fox was doing the broadcast. They had like this um, almost like a it, it was like a light that would follow the puck um so that people could like watch it on like people are always like oh i can't see the puck on tv like i never know what's going on so uh fox they had this thing called the glow puck where they had like a little like highlight on the puck and when players would shoot it over a certain mile per hour it would turn like red and like almost almost look like a like a like a little vapor trail falling behind it need that in lacrosse think think that that shot deserves something like that uh yeah i mean that that offense is potent Huge game out of Minicus. Um, yeah, I mean N- Nikki Solomon getting himself going to it. Yeah, that, it's it's a it's a offense that's going to be really hard to bottle up for anybody. Um, it just they probably just don't want to find themselves down in an eight three hole again, um, especially coming up this weekend against Virginia because I don't think that Virginia is a team that's going to uh, w- once their foot's on the pedal it's lead and it just stays there. So you're not going to really be able to get it up. Uh, but they were able to get Yale's foot off their throats for just long enough to come out on top of that one. So Yale goes down uh, Sunday afternoon, Cornell, the Cornell big red 2022 national runners up. Uh, you know, they kind of stumbled towards the end of the season. Um, you know, one, one of the best teams in the regular season, they put up uh, just, just a, a really great regular season campaign. But they stumbled against Yale in the Ivy League semifinal. And we started to see a few cracks in the armor. Whoa. A few cracks in the armor. Um, you know, maybe, you know, that, that defense was starting to just kind of disintegrate a little bit. Um, and then this, this game against Michigan, man, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what else there is to say about Michigan right now besides the fact that this team has the juice. Uh, you, you think about think about this program Dukes, right? Like how long has it felt like lacrosse fans have just kind of, we've been waiting for the moment that, that the Michigan program really announces itself, right? Like when they, when they made the jump from club to D one, I feel like the initial reaction was like, Oh yeah, it's only a f- matter of a few years before Michigan like takes over, right? Like big, big time school, 
great facilities, like huge, huge name. Like you think, Oh yep. Like Michigan, like they're going to get every recruit that they want. They're going to take over. And like 10 years happen and they just never took over. This is, this is like a huge, uh, a huge boost to, to jumpstart that Michigan program that we kind of envisioned happening uh, in 2012. Well, I'll say this is I I thought about this a lot. This is why we thought Michigan would just run like be like, oh, they're going to be in the Final Four in three years. It's because Bill Tierney made it look so easy. And that speaks to the greatest more of what Bill Tierney was able to do at Denver. We were just like, oh, right. Like, it doesn't matter how far out west you are, you'll be able to get the recruits. Oh, Denver's cold. Like, like you'll be able to get people to go to like a cold environment like Michigan. Just goes to speak about Bill Tierney's philosophy on, on recruiting on building a, a program from the ground up. And we just thought it was just going to be so easy to do. And I think in retrospect, it just goes to show how hard it is. Um, and that, you know, I think that just like, speaks volumes. I think people just thought it was going to be so much easier than it was given everything that you stated about what Michigan has to offer. Great school, big 10 school football, all this. Um, but yeah, it's been a long time coming for this Michigan program. Um, you know, last year, fraud alert starting off hot not really having that schedule than going 0-4 in uh, Big Ten play. But, I mean, they finished the season so strong. Uh, they're a team of destiny, the team that you don't really want to play right now. Um, I mean, I think you're a fan of Zawada. I think Michael Baum is my favorite player on uh, Michigan. I, I love watching uh, Aiden Cohen. Uh, he didn't really have the game. I think that – who was it? Peter Thompson stepped up really big for, the, for that midfield unit, um, taking some pressure off. But, uh, yeah, just a team you don't want to play with right now. And, I, and I'm not shocked at all but from this win against Cornell. I think that Cornell could have offered a little bit more of a scare to Duke. But, I mean, who, again, you don't want to mess with the team of Destiny. And I, I'm not, I'm not going to say that Michigan cannot, cannot upset Duke. But we'll get it, obviously, into more of that preview next episode. Yeah, uh, I mean, Mike, Michael Baum or Michael Boom, however you say it, uh, gritty, gritty son of a bitch, gets himself to tough areas, takes a few hits along the way, still gets the job done. So lo- love to see grease balls like that just get the job done. Um, and I think Michigan's just just filled with guys like that. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and like, let's it's it's not even like. Okay, so like maybe I'm jumping the gun a little bit and saying like Michigan's here like as a program. Like th- this has been a really good few. This has been a really good month or so for Michigan. Like it wasn't like they had like the greatest season ever. Like they're still hovering like just over 500. Um, but like you look at what they did this year, right? Like they to take down Maryland twice, once in the regular season, once in the Big Ten semifinal, to take down the 2022 national runner up uh, in, in the first round of the tournament, to win the Big Ten championship. Uh, it's It's been a huge, I mean, this, you want to talk about getting hot at the right time. Michigan right now is the, uh, I, I mean, they're, they're the epitome of it. So definitely not a team that you want to face moving forward. I, again, I, my brain says Duke, my heart wants Michigan. Um, I'll be fine either way that that happens, but yeah, just, just a great moment where it's because it, it did, it was starting to get a little awkward that it, it was taking so long. Like, yeah, Bill Tierney might've, uh, might have set an unrealistic standard on how quickly you can build a program, but it was taking a little bit longer than even like long would be expected. 
Um, and the longer that goes on, the more it kind of seemed like Michigan was starting to be a little bit more of a joke in college across, you know, especially mm-hmm. with, with, like you said, the, the season that they had last year, starting off seven and zero, and then going, zero and seven since then. Um, so great for them to get these, these big time wins. I mean, it just seems like every single week they're getting the biggest win in program history. So love to see that good for coach Connery. Good for, uh, Peter Thompson. I, I want to say he's a, he's an Ann Arbor kid, right? I want to say that yes, but also I just think what Thompson was able to do with Cone out, like to have your best midfielder, like inverted attackman, go up to midfield. Like in my opinion, in that Maryland game, Cone was MVP. To play that entire game without him, and I think that when I like initially, I was like, it was like that, like where is he moment, and you're like, is he like just not on the field, and then you kind of dig into it deeper, and you're like, oh, he's not playing. I don't know why he didn't play. I don't know if that was grades. I don't know if there was an injury, but if he's not available against Duke, you really need Thompson to step up like he, he did again. Uh, even Mulholland had like two points out of the midfield unit, but you, you need some help in that midfield unit with uh, one of your best players out. So really, big ups to that uh, midfield unit for Michigan. Yeah. Um, well, so yeah, so Cornell goes down in overtime to Michigan, um, Peter Thompson with the overtime dagger, great moment for him. Uh, and then the third and final team, the Ivy league, their hopes and dreams, uh, and, and all of Donna's aspirations all hinged upon Princeton, the Ivy league tournament champions being able to head over to happy Valley and get the job done against Penn state, uh, Penn state, huge turnaround season for them, but it looked like that was all going to be crashing to a fiery blaze in the second quarter as Princeton was up seven to one. Uh, but then Penn state, they, they junked it up a little bit threw a zone out there at Princeton. Um, as that happened, Penn state, their offense kind of woke up a little bit, started chipping away at that lead, took Princeton a little bit too long to figure out, uh, you know, how, how to, how to attack that zone before you know it, Penn state had tied things up, got themselves a lead, uh, big game out of Ethan Long. Great game out of TJ Malone. Um, a little bit of a quiet game out of Jack Trainer, but he had like one goal that was just like, just one of, one of those goals where it's like, all right, yeah, like Penn State has their dog going right now and things are going their way. Um, but yeah, Penn State really, really relying on their defense even after getting down seven to one uh, to, to win this game. So Penn state gets the job done. Princeton goes down. Ivy league goes over in the first round of the tournament. Dukes, your thoughts on this game. Tim Brony. What, uh, what a response by him after such a down year last year. I thought his adjustment, like the way that he was able to move his attackman around and show the fluidity of that offense, um, putting Malone up top on the wing, kind of drawing up those, those, like he kind of like inverted the midfield unit down, down, putting the attackman up, being able to attack from wherever on the field. I thought that was a great adjustment along with the zone. Um, but yeah, I, I think just the the way that Penn State whole offense can kind of play any spots on the field was huge in that win. And I think Tamperoni kind of like one win away from one win away from the Final Four, which. Um, I think just like after, like he, he needs this. Um, I think that that, should, that would just, oh, I don't even want to say rejuvenate, but just like an on back moment. Cause you know, I think Penn State's right there and kind of like they were in that new blood conversation. Like they, they're one of these up and coming programs that haven't won the national championship. But for so many years when they had O'Keefe and uh, Amen, were just 
mainstays didn't have like the defense or whatever, but one would I mean, this, this and this would this would clearly be his most impressive run to the final four. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you, you think back to, to getting there uh, with Cornell. I mean, you've got a guy named Rob Pinnell leading the way. Like, I, I don't want to say that anybody could coach that team, but like you, you give someone Rob Pinnell to, to work with, you're going to go pretty far. Um, you look, I mean, those teams with, with Amet and O'Keefe, like that was just, it was a cheat code. Um, and like, that was just a game where you knew that all you had to do was just roll out the ball, hope that your team had a few more possessions because they were going to score pretty much every single time that they touched the ball with those two guys on offense. Um, and, and clearly, you know, there are only so many teams that could keep up with that. Uh, there are only so many defenses, you know, that would be able to withstand that barrage of just amen to O'Keefe, amen to O'Keefe, amen to himself, amen to O'Keefe uh, for so long. So, like I'm not saying that Tambroni had nothing to do with that. Obviously, one recruiting. Um, obviously, two. You know, getting guys to to develop and put them in the right spots. But at the same time, it's like you had two fucking weapons kind of kind of bring you there. Like this is one where, like this, a, a win on. So what? There, I, I want to say that they're going to be the Sunday game, right? Gotta gotta look at the schedule. But either way, a, a win this coming weekend, um, like that would be the biggest trip to the final four uh, in Tambroni's life. And obviously it would be very un-American of him because he'd have to take down the troops, but so be it. Yeah. I think that like, those like Max Siebold teams, like maybe, maybe you could say one of those, uh, but again, Siebold was a, like a beast. It's, they don't have a tour ton finalist on this team. Exactly. Yeah. So like, I think that's the big, the big thing, like they don't have an alpha. Like I think, like you look at like who was Seabold was playing with. It's not like he's playing with MLL All Stars. So like that's speaks to like Tambroni's coaching efforts. But they don't have a tour time finals. They don't have anyone that you could be like, oh, like um, I don't think you could pit, pull a casual lacrosse fan off the off the street. Be like name name the best player on Penn State. No, I don't. I, don't, I would venture to guess he probably. You'd have, you'd have to get a guy who watches every single week college across every weekend for him to, to tell you. The, number, the best player on the number five team in the country. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just crazy. Um, but yeah, so Penn State gets the job done. Princeton loses that one. Uh, great adjustments at halftime from Coach Tambo. Great adjustments from the defense there. And uh, yeah, big game out of Ethan Long and, and company. So Penn State uh, will be moving on and they'll be playing – army on sunday uh let's see what else I, th- I think there's one last game that we haven't oh the the duke and delaware game i mean t- tell you what it was it was a really it was a great weekend for uh, a tale of two halves right um quite a few games where halftime you, you know you thought maybe maybe you'd get away with being able to kind of throw lacrosse on in the background during, you know, the second quarter of some of these games, be like, yep, this game's already out of reach. Nope. Turns out uh, that's, that's why we play four quarters. So Delaware able to get off to a really hot start against Duke. Um, And I mean, this Delaware team, this Delaware team is a problem for high seeds. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it'll be a little bit tough moving forward with a couple guys graduating, Um, but at least these past couple of years, 
I mean, what what a problem, what a thorn in the ass Delaware has been for top seeds, obviously taking down number two Georgetown in last year's tournament uh, and then almost doing the thing this year against number one Duke. Uh, Delaware, I mean, what were they up? Eight to, eight to five at, eight to at halftime? Eight to four. Oh, at eight to four at one point, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so eight eight to four at one point, but the score heading into halftime was eight to five. Um, it's just unfortunately, if, if you want to take down Duke, you have to bury them by so much more, so much earlier because it was it was what like just a couple minutes out of yeah. halftime that that Macadori had already put Duke on their back, tied the thing up at eight eight. Um, Delaware way to respond after that. You know they were able to make it into a back and forth game after giving up that lead um, coming out of halftime. But at the end of the day, Duke is Duke for a reason. They are loaded. They have so many weapons. Um, I mean, do they held Brennan O'Neill scoreless until the 11th goal of the game? Like what more could you possibly ask for out of, out of, out of a defense? But at the same time, it's like you stop Brandon O'Neill for the majority of the game. Guess what? There's still a guy named Andrew McAdory you have to stop. There's still a guy named Dyson Williams that you have to stop. Yeah. And I just think that the, it was, you never, I never, I mean, at least I never thought Delaware was ever really going to win that game, which I was like, the, the thing that impressed me about the Delaware's effort, one, I mean, exactly nailed it, their defensive effort. Overall, I think their defense really stepped up to give their team the best chance they could to win. Second, it wasn't like there was this big disparity in face-offs or in goalie play where one goalie was standing on their head, could steal them a win. Um, but that Delaware offense stepped up to the plate against, uh, like, like we said, a Duke unit that we, we really think is, is tough as nails. So, um, yeah, I, I just think that Del- Delaware – The only thing that I'll say, which is kind of what I spoke to last episode, Duke knew that Delaware was going to be a scary team. It's not like there was this like secret out there that like you know like we're we can walk past them. So the fact that Duke knew that Delaware was going to give them a punch, and Duke still didn't like kind of like like I don't know how to say cover like Duke didn't like you know win by like. It was it just it just you know when you when you know a team's gonna punch you in the punch you in the face and that team still punches you in the face like that I think that speaks to Deluca's mentality going into that game getting his team up getting his team ready it wasn't like they were coming in secretly like we're gonna sneak up on them and, and punch them in the face it was like no 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 they see us coming and we're still gonna punch them in the face we're gonna take an eight four lead I just think it was a fantastic uh, mentality going into that game a fantastic like a, an awesome uh, just response by Delaware. I don't know. I, I okay. Good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you went that way with it. When you were setting it up, I was starting to think like you were going to say, Oh, like, like Duke knew that Delaware was going to like come out and punch him in the mouth. And they like still couldn't, they, like they, they still like fumbled and, and didn't stop it from happening. But I, I totally agree with you where I think that, you know, Duke knowing that this Delaware team is loaded, right? Like you just watched the PLL draft, you know, that they have pro yeah. talent, on the field. Um, you know what they did against Georgetown last year. Like, I, I just think, like you said, it speaks more to Delaware's ability to still get up and, and throw that first punch. Right. Um, yeah. E- even when a team knows that it's coming. So yeah, great game out of Delaware. I think as a lacrosse fan, I'm, I'm very excited that we still get more Duke this year. Um, so- I, I think would have been really let down if, 
if that was the last that we saw of this Duke team. So I'm glad that we have at least one more weekend with them coming up. Uh, hopefully two more weekends. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, Michigan team of destiny, but Duke still gets it done. I mean, yeah, I mean, hypothetically, I mean, if we were talking hypothetical weekend preview lines with the hypotheticals, some might say that hypothetically Michigan plus three. Okay. And I didn't even look at the hypotheticals, but I would have assumed like three and a half would, would be a good number for that one. So, um, yeah, I mean, just, just like if, if there were, I thing, would say this right? though, it, it, if we're not getting to the weekend preview, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I mean, if Michigan's like I'm here moment was knocking off a traditional powerhouse, like Duke, that is a Cinderella story. Like you can't like beating Brendan O'Neill in this attack, like this star studded attack line. And like, you're just, I don't know. That would be pretty cool. Hypothetically speaking, of course, and we'll get into this more in the weekend preview, but that would be hypothetically cool. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think that they've done enough where like you could still, you could still do like the movie about this. I, I think like the, no, like what was it? Uh, what I, I've, I've only seen it. It would kind of be like a Moneyball situation where, like, you make a story about a team that, like, did a couple cool things, but like at the end of the day, like, actually didn't do shit. So if Moneyball can be a, a movie, I think you can make a movie about Michigan beating Maryland twice and then winning the big the Big Ten conference tournament, uh, and then beat. Well, Maybe if fucking Michigan was Bellarmine. Maybe, what yeah. like, Bellarmine wins like a first round game. It's like, oh, we have no all these no name recruits, like like kind of like the Oakland A's 2003 baseball season, which I literally think about way too often. Yeah, like you just like get some like scrub like from yeah, Kentucky who just picked up a lacrosse stick for the first time and, and right. he just takes down Connor Schellenberger. Um well yeah, I mean either way, the the uh the Hollywood writers are all on strike, so Maybe I'll just write the movie for Michigan, and then We're not it'll be arrows too anytime soon. <laughs> well, I get get it on DVD while you still can. Um, but yeah, so those are uh, so what? Th- those were all eight games. Listen, five really good games of the weekend. Three shit pumpings. I'm I'm really actually and on a personal level, um, could not be more thankful and gracious uh, to. Um, to Virginia for just fucking stomping out Richmond in that first game. Uh, I was cooking a lot of barbecue last week. I got maybe a combined, I don't know, two and a half hours of sleep over like three days, just cooking barbecue wrapped up at, at 12 on Saturday, really needed to rest my eyes, really needed to shut it down for an hour or so. So the fact that Virginia was able to just put that game away right away, um, perfect, perfect nap time for, for old Jordy over here. Uh, I agree. I actually woke up uh, around the first quarter, watched it, saw Virginia start to put on a pounding, close my eyes to the next game, which I was going to be more like when you tell me like when I saw like Virginia, when I turned on the TV and it was Virginia Richmond, like kind of close in a rain. I was like, fuck, like, this is like a sloppy game. Like this will never really go away. The fact that Virginia was able to just put it away with no, like no doubt. When I saw the rain and how shitty the field was, I was like, fuck me. Yeah. I was hoping for a dry day, like a couple broken ankles. Um, <laughs> too soon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Too, too, too soon. Too soon. Fuck. Oh, 
All right. Well, those uh, those were the first eight games of the tournament. We are down to seven left. We've got four coming up this weekend in the quarterfinals, and then it is on to Philadelphia for the final four championship weekend on Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we'll be back later this week with our quarterfinal preview show. Uh, and anything else? Any? Uh, oh, you know what? Before we before we wrap up here, uh, it was announced today that uh, Lyle Thompson will be taking a year hiatus from the PLL this summer. Uh, he's choosing to be able to stay home, uh, get some time with the family, do some work in the community. Uh, so Lyle Thompson didn't have a. Uh, didn't have, you know, traveling around every weekend in the PLL on his schedule for this summer. So he's taken a break off. Uh, we wish him the best. And I think, listen, I mean, I, I think that right now this is a, this is a definitely when, when we hear the news that the PLL is going back to a, to a city-based model instead of the touring model. Um, I think that situations like this are what is, you know, where the league will benefit the most. Uh, Cause it is a ton of travel on these guys. And like, you know, as these stars get older, they're going to start families. They're going to want to be around their kids a little bit more. They might not want to go to Louisville in, on a random weekend in, in the summer. They might want to spend it with their family. Um, so going back to a city-based model, definitely going to help situations like this one. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's definitely something that I've considered just like with like some of the retirements that we've seen. The, 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 the tour-based the tour model is, in my opinion, amazing model for growing the game in cities that can't always get lacrosse. Uh, I think it's just a great way. Circus coming to town, get your family together. And I think you see this, like you see Charlotte's really shine with attendance. You see Minneapolis really show out with attendance. Um, it's a young man's game, though. It's a young man's game traveling, you know, a lot of 30 year youngers might like this. And again, that might be why, and I've always said this about the PLL. I, I, I actually think that out of the two of us, maybe like, I, I kind of grown to maybe like the PLL better than college, um, which I've always said is a great way. Like it's a great that I could actually form an argument why like I might like the PLL better. And I, and it's not like, and I still truly believe it, but one of the things I've always gotten concerned with is how old some of the players were. And I was like, what about all these young talented guys that are coming into the league? Like I got like having the Rabels, the Brody Merrill's like all still in the game. I was like, there's a shit ton of young talent that we need to get out there. So seeing a lot of these retirements, I'm excited to see young guys get more, more playing time, more shots, um, more exposure. And again, like you said, young man's game, these guys are like willing and able to travel, uh, willing and able to put in the time and the effort to really grow the game. So uh, it's just an exciting time for lacrosse uh, overall. Like at the end of the day, that's all I keep telling myself. It's an exciting time. Um, the next two months, I'll be in Albany. Sun, sun's out, sky's blue, birds are chirping, and lacrosse is just in the air. Yeah, what 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 a time indeed. Um, all right, well that'll uh, that'll wrap up this episode. Make sure that you guys are subscribed to the YouTube channel. Make sure that you are following us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at the Crease Dive on both Stool Crease Dive on TikTok. Uh, and in the meantime, we'll be keeping it low to high until the day we die. We out.